Good evening and welcome everyone to our Bible study. We want to welcome those that are joining us from distant places. I know in recent weeks we've had folks from Ohio and Florida and other places joining us. So uh, it's amazing how even during the bad weather we could still remain connected. And we are continuing in our Bible study entitled Out of Bondage into Abundance. We will hopefully be completing part two tonight and moving right into part three next week. Uh, the notes and the recordings for all of these are placed on our website at www.new-life-ministries.org and hopefully you can find any of the materials that you're needing there. If you are following in the outline, we have come to page 19, and again, we're in part 2. We're finishing up our examination of the Passover. And, you know, as I'm going through this Bible study, it just keeps coming to me. Uh, it, it is really mind-boggling to think, what a, what a great and awesome and wise God we love and serve, that in this whole story, and it's not just a story, it's history of Israel's coming out of Egypt and going into Canaan, the promised land, the whole story, every detail of it, God was painting a picture for us. And it's actually what some theologians refer to as a type or a shadow Shadows are not realities. They point us to the reality. And if you're facing toward the source of light, the shadow will always lead you to the real object that is casting that shadow. And so the whole story of Israel being in bondage for 400 years in Egypt, being delivered by the mighty hand of God, brought out of Egypt traveling through the wilderness into a whole different place, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, the land of Canaan. And as we've been pointing out throughout this study, every detail about it is important for us, not just to know the history of Israel, certainly that's important, but far more important, we've seen a number of New Testament passages that refer back to those Old Testament events, and let us understand that as Christians, it's a picture for us of our whole salvation experience. From the time we are delivered out of the slavery of sin, to the whole journey that God is taking us on into a life of abundance. Jesus spoke of an abundant life in Him, and I believe that has a twofold fulfillment. There's an abundant life for us in the Spirit now, here on this earth. But there's a far more abundant life that has been prepared for us in heaven for us to enjoy for all eternity. And as we are winding up this second section on the Passover, I think it's important for us to keep remembering, after all the mighty signs and wonders that God demonstrated for Pharaoh 
and the people of Egypt. They were still not set free. Pharaoh continued to harden his heart and hold them locked in that bondage until finally in one single night, all two and a half million slaves were brought out of Egypt and we saw last time they came out with gold and silver and with great spoils that the Egyptians gave to them. And of course, that great night of deliverance centered around the Passover. The slaying of lambs, spotless lambs without blemish, the blood being literally painted around the doorway, and then the reason it's called the Passover is God said tonight, I'm going to move throughout Egypt, and every house where I see the blood, I will pass over that house. But any house that did not have that covering, atoning, saving blood over its doorway, the firstborn of every human, every animal, the firstborn of every living thing in that house died that night. And there was great wailing and great sorrow that came over Egypt that night as God smote the firstborn of all of Egypt. Firstborn speaks about strength. God was smiting the very strength of Egypt. And it says in Exodus 12, he was also bringing judgment on the gods of Egypt. So all the idols, all the false gods, all the demonic powers that were ruling over that nation, God brought judgment on them that night. But whenever he saw the blood of the Lamb, his judgment, his destruction, and his wrath passed over that house. And we've been mentioning a number of times in 1 Corinthians 5 in the New Testament, Paul tells us that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us also keep the feast. So, nothing but the blood could bring them out of Egypt, and nothing but the blood of the Lamb can deliver you and me from the bondage, the oppression, the power of sin and darkness that once kept all of us in slavery. Jesus said anyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And Paul, we saw in the book of Romans, wrote extensively about the slavery, the bondage of sin. There is no psychologist, there's no self-help book, there's no uh, formula that can set man free from the slavery of sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. No other religion, no other philosophy, nothing can break the bondage of sin over a person's life but the blood of the cross, the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. And it blesses me every time I remember those words, God's words, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. God's judgment doesn't pass over you and me because we're good people, not even because we're church-going people. His judgment passed over us when He saw the blood of His Son being spilled on the cross of Calvary. And 
by extension, when you and I repent and run to the cross and cry out to God and plead the blood of Jesus Christ for our sins, then we are forgiven. And then God's judgment passes over us. We saw last time that when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they came out with great riches. Um, I've often looked at it as back pay. For all of the 400 years that they worked as slaves in Egypt, God paid them back. And he also paid back the Egyptians for what they did to his people. And, you know, next section we're going to be studying the Red Sea. And things get far worse for Egypt in the Red Sea. And you get a real clear picture of just how angry God is against his enemies and against those who would do harm to his people. His judgment may delay a long time. It took 400 years of slavery in Egypt. But when God's night comes, let me tell you something, you better look out, because vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is not ours. It does belong to God, however. And when you look at what God did to Egypt, it's frightening. And they may have thought for 400 years that they were getting away with something by the way they were mistreating the Israelites and using them to build all of their great projects. But in the end, God paid the Israelites back and he paid the Egyptians back. Now, tonight we want to look at one last and very important aspect of the Passover. And again, if you're following in the notes, we've come to section J on page 19. The Passover wasn't a one-time event. God told them while they were still in Egypt, the night that he was about to pass over them, he told them in great detail how he wanted them every year to make this a memorial celebration. It was to be an annual event, and certainly it was to be a reminder to them of what God had done for them. So, as the Passover was instituted as an annual memorial celebration, it was a time for every Israelite, and even their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, to be aware of several things. One, the miserable life of bondage, the bitter slavery that they endured for those 400 years in Egypt. God never wanted them to forget that, and we're going to see some reasons why tonight. Secondly, God wanted them to remember His merciful, gracious, miraculous deliverance. Only God could bring them out from that situation that they were in. And I want to read several different passages from Exodus Uh, chapters 12 and chapter 13. We'll begin, first of all, in Exodus 12. And, of course, we've been referring a lot to this chapter because the whole chapter refers to the Passover. In verse 14, God says, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall, shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord a lasting ordinance. 
So right there, still in Egypt, God explained to them, this is something you're going to be doing every year now, and note the word memorial. It's an annual memorial celebration. And there's another interesting verse that I came across later in Exodus 12. It's not found in the notes, but it's verse 42. And it says, Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. There it is again. This was not just something they were doing that one night to secure their deliverance or their salvation. God wanted them once a year to keep vigil and to remember what God had done for them. It says because the Lord kept vigil that night, he didn't sleep, God was wide awake that whole night, he was very busy, because he kept vigil that night, to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. And then in the next chapter, in Exodus 13, we'll read from verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt. Note those words again. Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice again, God is reminding them and reinforcing this picture in their mind You're coming out of Egypt, but we're going somewhere. We're going into the land that flows with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips, for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So clearly, God is telling them over and over, what I'm about to do for you, I don't want you to ever forget. And I'm instituting 
the Passover as an annual commemoration to assure that you never forget. It is to be a reminder. Let me read verse 9 again. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. So, the primary purpose of the Passover was a memorial for the Israelites to remember and, of course, to praise the Lord and to celebrate the great victory that God was bringing them. But it was also done looking forward to where he was taking them. Remember, he brought them out to take them in. So you find this very often in the Old Testament, where he was taking them from and where he wanted them to go. You're coming out now of slavery, you're going in to the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, Let's also read a very important passage about the Passover in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy 16, verses 1 to 3. Observe the month of Abib, and celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God. Because in the month of Abib he brought you out of Egypt by night. Sacrifice as the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd, at the place the Lord will choose, as a dwelling for his name. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. That's an interesting term there. Eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. I think you can you can hear something in all of these passages coming from the heart of God. He he knew how important it was going to be for the Israelites for their own sake to never forget this whole experience. And we studied how one of the aspects of the Passover they were to eat the lamb with bitter herbs. And certainly those bitter herbs were also to be a reminder every year of what a bitter experience this was in Egypt. And here we see that same kind of an idea in verse 3. Eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Obviously signifying a remembering of all the misery, all the affliction they endured for those 400 long years in Egypt. And then it ends here in verse 3, do this so that all the days of your life, not just once a year, but all the days of your life, you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think you can see where this is going. Paul tells you and me, as believers in Jesus Christ, He is our Passover lamb, and we also have a feast to keep. He's not saying we're supposed to go out and kill a lamb and bake unleavened bread and go through 
all of those physical steps that the Israelites went through. Uh, you may have been to a Passover Seder where they do all of that. It's certainly interesting to uh, attend one of those and partake in one of those to get an idea of what the Israelites did year after year after year. But remember, that's just a shadow. We are now celebrating the real Passover, because we've got the real Lamb, Jesus Christ. And I believe it's extremely important that we also understand the primary purpose of this Passover feast was so we would never forget. We would remember all the days of our life, the bitter bondage, slavery, affliction that God delivered us out of, the life of sin that we were once living, and how God, through the blood of His Son, delivered us from that affliction and from that bondage. Also, while we're here in Deuteronomy, the previous chapter, Deuteronomy 15.15, 15, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. You know, you might even imagine God telling them, I don't want you to remember Egypt. Blot it out of your memory. I don't want you to ever think about that terrible life of slavery you lived. Forget all about being a slave. We're going into the promised land now. But quite the contrary, God says, don't ever forget that you were slaves. And one of the things I have found that it does, it just creates an attitude of gratitude inside of your own heart. It doesn't matter what's going on today. If you remember where you once were and what God did to rescue from that, you can begin to sing and rejoice and praise God for His salvation no matter what's going on around you. And we're going to find a little later on tonight that Israel failed to do that. They soon forgot what God had done for them, and it had very, very dire negative consequences for them. Things did not go well for them because they forgot. They did not remember what God had done for them. So, summarizing this, each year, long after they had left Egypt, the Israelites were to keep this Passover the Feast of the Unleavened Bread for one week, the killing of the lamb, the applying of the blood, they were to do that every year. And of course, with the passage of time, the children and the grandchildren who knew nothing about Egypt, God said, they're going to ask you, why are you doing this? Use it as an opportunity to teach them about what you went through in Egypt and how the mighty hand of God delivered you and set you free. So, as they celebrated this memorial and remembered all of those things, both the terrible life they had lived in Egypt and the mighty deliverance that God brought them, it would keep them forever grateful to God. And certainly, they would never, never, never 
even think of returning to Egypt if they truly remembered that it was a bitter life of slavery and affliction that God had delivered them out of. However, there are numerous scriptures, we'll look at just a few of them, where we'll see very soon after leaving Egypt, Israel got into big trouble because they forgot what God had done. And to me, one of the saddest uh, commentaries on this whole segment of Israel's history, and we'll come to this passage in a little more depth further on, is Psalm 106, verse 13, where in context it talks about the mighty miracles in Egypt, how God brought them out with His mighty hand, and then in verse 13 it says, they soon forgot what He had done. They soon forgot what He had done. And because they forgot what He had done, before long, they were grumbling, they were complaining, and they got so mixed up, so confused in their minds, that they began to say that Egypt was the land flowing with milk and honey, and that they wanted to go back to Egypt, because they had such a good life in Egypt. Wow! What confusion! Let's look at a couple of scriptures that are going to tell us about this. In Numbers chapter 11, Numbers 11, we'll read from verse 1 to 5, and then we'll drop down to verse 18. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Stop. The people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. Now we saw in 1 Corinthians 10 where Paul refers to Egypt's, I'm sorry, to Israel's exodus out of Egypt. He does mention specifically there their grumbling and their complaining. And it's interesting to note here that when we complain, God hears it. Uh Uh-oh. The people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. It gets worse. And when He, when God, heard them, His anger was aroused. Uh Uh-oh. Hope we don't have any complainers on the phone tonight. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Uh, Just make yourself a little note. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this point tonight, but just make yourself a little note. God gets really ticked off when I complain. He really got angry with these Israelites. Remember, he told them specifically, I don't want you to ever forget what I've done for you. So you'll be grateful. You'll remember, wow, we've come out of Egypt. We were slaves there for 400 years. Hallelujah. 
Praise God, he delivered us with his mighty hand. But no, they're already complaining and grumbling, and things are not going well for them. Look at verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, listen carefully to these words, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Now, we can't really say for sure what and what they did eat or what they didn't eat during those 400 years in Egypt. But I'm going to guess that as slaves, they didn't have filet mignon and a, you know, 19-course salad bar to choose from every night. And something's already starting to go awry in their thinking. Their minds are getting all confused and mixed up. And now Egypt is the promised land. Egypt is the place that they long for if only we had meat to eat. I wonder how much meat they really did eat when they were in Egypt. Probably not very much. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. I don't know how much fish they ate. And notice, at no cost. Wow, we got to eat for free when we were in Egypt. Well, you were slaves. You had no freedom. You couldn't buy or sell anything. And the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Verse 18, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now, the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll remember, he made them eat so much quail meat, it came out of their mouths and their ears. God was really hot with these people, because something was going wrong in their whole perspective. And I think you can trace it back to that one statement, they soon forgot what he had done. If you want to do a Bible study sometime, get a good concordance and go through the whole Bible and look up all the scriptures that have to do with forgetting and remembering. It's a very important subject in the Bible. And God's people tend to be very forgetful. We don't remember things for very long. And so there are a lot of things that God specifically tells us in his word he wants us to remember. Certainly that was the heart of the whole Passover celebration. Remember where I brought you from. Remember where I'm taking you. And remember the great deliverance that I brought you. While we're here in Numbers, there are a couple of other interesting stories. One of them is found in Numbers 16, when Korah and a group of rebels rose up against Moses and Aaron and challenged their authority. And it's interesting to listen to some of the things they were complaining to Moses and Aaron about. We'll just pick out one portion here in number 16, 
verses 13 and 14. Isn't it enough, and these are the rebels challenging Moses, listen carefully to their words, isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert? And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Let me tell you something. If we're not careful to remember where God brought us from, remember the cross, remember what Jesus died for, remember how God set us free, our minds can get so mixed up that we actually begin to think our old life of sin was the land flowing with milk and honey. That's what they're saying. Isn't it enough that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? There's no milk and honey in Egypt. Where did they get this from? There's a real deception, a real blindness that's working in their minds now to think that Egypt was the land flowing with milk and honey. And of course, they're angry with Moses and Aaron saying, you haven't brought us to any place flowing with milk and honey. At least we had milk and honey back in Egypt. And you know, sooner or later this backsliding spirit visits all of us. And it may come in different forms depending on what kind of a sinful life you lived before you came to Christ. But the devil has a way of coming around at just the right moment and saying, Oh, you remember those good old days when you used to hang out in the bars or used to be dancing or used to be in the parties or you were doing drugs. Wasn't that a lot of fun? Don't you miss those days? And we get so mixed up, we actually begin to entertain those thoughts. Yeah, I had a lot more fun when I was a drug addict or an alcoholic or I was sitting in a bar drunk out of my mind, I need to go back to Egypt. Well, if you're thinking clearly, you're remembering those days not as land flowing with milk and honey, but a bitter place of bondage and affliction. In Numbers 14, we see again this desire to go back to Egypt already. Numbers 14, verses 2 to 4. All the Israelites grumbled. Praise God, we don't have any more grumblers now in the church. But they did have a few in those days. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses <coughs> and Aaron. They all grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly, at least they're united, they're all speaking with one voice, but here's what they're saying to their leaders. If only we had died in Egypt, or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land 
only to let us fall by the sword. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. And here it comes. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Wow. Now, starting next time, we're going to look at what happened in the Red Sea. And this is totally insane to even be talking about wanting to go back to Egypt. These Egyptians were completely decimated by God's power, not just killing all the firstborn on the Passover night, but Pharaoh and all of his chariots were drowned in the waters of the Red Sea. They don't ever want to see an Israelite again. And if these Israelites had done what they said here, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. What foolishness. They actually think they're going to be welcomed back into Egypt, get their old jobs back as slaves, and start eating fish and watermelons and leeks and cucumbers again? Uh, I don't think so. But these are the kind of tricks that our minds will play on us, and of course the devil will help us a lot when we start to entertain these backsliding thoughts. Oh, I want to go back to my old life. It was better when I was a non-Christian. It was better when I wasn't even a believer. Another very sad commentary is found in Psalm 78. And I would suggest reading the entire psalm, and also we're going to come to Psalm 106 after that. These are two psalms that kind of document the whole history of Israel coming out of Egypt, but it also documents how they forgot what God had done, and they got themselves into a heap of trouble. Psalm 78, we'll begin reading at verse 42, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 55. The first few words should tell you what the problem is. They did not remember. They did not remember. They did not remember his power the day he redeemed them from the oppressor. That was the whole purpose of the Passover. So that this wouldn't happen. So that they would never forget God's mighty power, and how he redeemed them from Pharaoh, the oppressor. But they did not remember, verse 43, the day he displayed his miraculous signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan. He turned their water, he turned their rivers into blood, they could not drink from their streams, he sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, their produce to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore figs with sleet. He gave over their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. Verse uh, 51. 
He struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, the firstfruits of manhood in the tents of Ham. But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the desert. He guided them safely so they were unafraid. But the sea engulfed their enemies. Thus he brought them to the border of his holy land. Notice that. Here's a different description of Canaan, the promised land. It's his holy land. To the hill country his right hand had taken, he drove out nations before them and allotted their lands to them as an inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. Go back to verse 42 again. They did not remember. You and I read this story and we think, wow, if I had been there, I would have never, ever been able to forget this. Oh, really? (laughs) They soon forgot it. And we soon forget things, too. And that's where we find the verse I referred to earlier in our next psalm. Psalm 106, we'll read verse 7 and verse 13. When our fathers were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his counsel. This forgetfulness was not supposed to happen. And the Passover feast was designed to prevent this very thing from ever happening. But they soon forgot what God had done. They gave no thought to God's miracles. They did not remember His many kindnesses. And if you're a good student of Old Testament history, from the time of the prophet Samuel, many, many years forward, all the way up to King Josiah, the Israelites, many, many years, they actually skipped the Passover. They failed to even keep the celebration. And in Second Chronicles 35, we come to the reign of King Josiah. He was one of the last kings of Judah before they went into Babylonian captivity. So there's been a long lapse of time since uh, the prophet Samuel comes on the scene in 1 Samuel. And we read in Second Chronicles 35, verse 18, a very profound scripture. They celebrated a Passover feast like no other during the reign of King Josiah. And here's what it says about it. The Passover had not been observed like this in Israel since the days of the prophet Samuel. And none of the kings of Israel had ever celebrated such a Passover as did Josiah with the priests, 
the Levites, and all Judah and Israel who were there with the people of Jerusalem. A great revival came to the people of Jerusalem and Judah during King Josiah's time, and this was one of the keys to that revival, the Passover. They came back to celebrating the Passover, remembering what God had done for them. You know, revival isn't a complicated thing. Revival doesn't necessarily hinge on us inviting one of the top ten speakers uh, from the Christian circuit uh, to come, you know, with a worldwide ministry and a famous name and all that. Revival comes when individual hearts celebrate the Passover, when individual hearts begin to soften and remember what God did for them, how he brought us out of Egypt and how he delivered us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we're coming into the Passover and resurrection season, it's certainly an excellent time for all of us to spend some time just remembering Calvary, remembering the whole story of what Jesus did for us, and how by no accident, on that Passover night, he kept the Last Supper with his disciples, and instituted from then on the Lord's Supper to be that very thing, a reminder to us of the Lord's death until he comes again. And coming again back to 1 Corinthians 5, this very important passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians concerning the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 7 to 8. Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival. Or King James says, let us keep the feast. So there is definitely a Passover feast for Christians to keep. What is it? Do we have to kill a lamb? Do we have to get some unleavened bread? What is Paul telling us to do? Well, if you study these two verses carefully, he's not talking about anything physical. He's not talking about getting yeast and dough and baking bread and killing a lamb. He's telling them, Christ is the lamb. He's already been sacrificed for us. Now, let's keep the feast. Not with the old yeast. Not with the the bread they kept in Egypt. Not with the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast. This is not physical bread. It's the bread of sincerity and truth. So, when we come to the Lord with a sincere heart, we come with a repentant heart, we come remembering what sin did to us. It turned us into slaves. We were bound. I don't know what your 
remembrance is of your life as a sinner. I've been saved for over 40 years, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember the the emptiness, the confusion, the darkness. I remember the the feelings of emptiness and hopelessness that brought me literally to the point of standing on a bridge ready to commit suicide. I remember that, and it does me good every time I remember it because I might be tempted to grumble about the weather or something else that's going wrong in my day-to-day life and forget the big picture. God brought me out of bondage, and I'm going to keep the festival. I'm going to remember the Passover lamb, what his blood accomplished for me, and I want to make sure that I keep all the leaven out of my heart, all the malice, all the hypocrisy, all the hidden stuff. We talked about this last time, bringing everything to the light. Sincerity speaks about walking in the light, being open, transparent before the Lord, repenting, confessing uh, any of my sins to the Lord, so that the blood of the Passover lamb can continually cleanse me. And speaking about the Last Supper, let's look at this in a little more detail now in 1 Corinthians 11, and we're not going to turn there, but we saw earlier in this study that on the Passover night in Matthew 26, Jesus celebrated that last Passover with the disciples. Judas had already betrayed him and gone out, but he broke bread, and he passed the cup around, and that's where he told them, Take, this is my body which is broken for you, and drink, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. In 1 Corinthians 11, I think that Paul is still on this thought of keeping the feast. How do we assure that we remember the Passover, that we remember what Jesus did for us. And that's where he, again, confirms what Jesus did that night with his disciples, that the Lord's Supper was to be a regular celebration, a regular ordinance in the churches to do one thing, to be a reminder 1 Corinthians 11, from verse 23 to 26. Now, as you all know, Paul was not there that night. He wasn't even saved yet. But he says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Obviously, he received this as a revelation through the Holy Spirit. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There it is. It's a reminder. 
Every time you do this, do it to remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So, the bread is to remember Jesus. The blood is to remember Jesus. The whole purpose of the Lord's Supper is to be a reminder, a memorial celebration of Calvary. Verse 26, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Two things we're proclaiming at the communion table. We're proclaiming the Lord's death, and we're proclaiming the hope of His return. Yes, He died for me. He's also coming again. So, do this in remembrance of me. You know, every time we come to the Lord's table, it it really amazes me that God is so humble that He would institute such a thing as this, lest we forget Calvary. Now, what happened in Egypt was a pretty amazing thing. Two and a half million slaves being set free. Um, That would seem to be something very hard to forget. But obviously, they forgot it very quickly. How much more, when we think about the cross and what God did on the cross, how can we ever forget that? But you know what? We do. We do forget. And we need to be reminded regularly of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I find in my own life, if I don't do this regularly and deliberately, I start to forget. And I know I'm forgetting because it starts to show up in my attitudes, grumbling, complaining, getting upset, even thinking, wow, I want to go back to Egypt. Life was better when I was an unbeliever. And then when we remember the cross, when we remember what God has done, it sort of brings everything right back into focus. That's why it's so important that we remember. Keep the Passover feast. Remember what Jesus did for us. And keep proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Now, let's summarize this, and this is going to complete part two, and I can't wait to get into part three next week, crossing the Red Sea. We're going to have a good time with that one. That's a powerful, powerful story. But summarizing the Passover, we saw that after 400 years in bondage to Pharaoh, even after all of the other plagues of flies and frogs and hail and all those things we read about in Psalm 78, 
after all nine of those miraculous plagues of judgment, the Israelites could only be liberated through the blood of the Passover lamb. Very profound revelation. Nothing but a blood sacrifice could set them free from their slavery and by extension the application for you and me is very clear. Nothing but the blood sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, can ever set us free from the horrible darkness, oppression, and bondage that Satan and the world and sin brings into our life. It's a graphic illustration of that whole truth of how a sinner is saved, how a sinner is set free through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. So amazing was Israel's deliverance that God established the Passover celebration to be an annual event, an annual celebration, but more specifically, an annual reminder so that they and their children and their grandchildren and their great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, all of their descendants would never forget what God had done for them. In the same way, you and I, every Christian, we have a Passover lamb and we have a Passover feast to keep. If we do it, it ensures us that we will not make the same mistake Israel made and soon forget. We will remember the Lord's mercies. We will remember the goodness of the Lord. We will celebrate every day of our life the cross of Jesus Christ and what it has accomplished in our lives. You know, Paul says something very interesting about the cross in 1 Corinthians 1. We often think that a good message about the cross uh, should be heard by an unbeliever. Oh, pastor's going to be preaching on the cross this Sunday. Bring all your unsaved friends and relatives. Well, yeah, that's good. But make sure you bring all the Christians and all the choir, too. Because Paul says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are lost, but it is the power of God to those of us who are being saved. So, I don't care how many years you've been saved, you need to hear about the cross. And every time you hear a good preaching about the cross, something should stir inside your heart. It causes you to turn back to the Lord. It causes your heart to soften. It causes you to begin to sing again the songs of salvation, songs of praise and gratitude to God for His great deliverance in your life. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't care how many years ago it was when God brought you out of bondage. You should remember it like it was yesterday. And give thanks to God for bringing you out of that terrible life. And that will assure that you and I never fall into this trap 
of backsliding, wanting to go back to Egypt, grumbling, complaining, rebelling against the leaders that are trying to take us in the right direction, saying, ah, we need a new leader who will take us in the right direction, back to Egypt where we had milk and honey flowing. They had no milk and honey in Egypt. It was a bitter, bitter experience that they had in Egypt. And God never wanted them to forget. Let me read again to you a list that we put together at the very beginning. These are some, <coughs> excuse me, these are some terms taken directly from the scriptures that describe the experience they had in Egypt. Oppression, misery, groaning, suffering, affliction, discouragement, cruel bondage, bitter forced labor, toil, mistreatment, iron smelting furnace, aliens, diseases, reproach, idols, and darkness. And imagine the folly of an Israelite saying, we want to go back there. That was the good life. That was the land flowing with milk and honey in Egypt. No, it wasn't. It was bitter. It was cruel. It was affliction. And that's why every year when they kept the Passover, they ate the bread of affliction. They ate bitter herbs to remind them that's no place you ever want to go again. God brought you out to take us in. Out of bondage, into abundance. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we have a Passover lamb, far greater than the lambs that the Israelite families used in Egypt. And even the blood of those lambs brought all of the slaves out in one single night from Pharaoh's bondage. We have the precious blood of Jesus Christ. How much greater, how much more powerful is the blood of that sacrifice? How much more our deliverance from the bondage of sin, darkness, the power of the world and evil and sin and rebellion, how much greater the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to set us free so that we can serve the Lord. God, help us never to forget. Help us each and every day of our lives to remember what you have done for us. Remember that we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, but through the grace and the mercy of God, you brought us out, you set us free, and you delivered us. God, thank you tonight for each and every one that has been joining us in these Bible studies. Continue to enlighten us, give us understanding, give us revelation that these are not just history lessons, but you're giving us a picture of the whole process, the whole journey that you're taking us through 
to get us from sin into the glorious kingdom of heaven. Lord, bless these words now to each and every one of our hearts. Keep us all as the apple of your eye. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to walk by faith and not by sight each and every day of our lives. We pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.